This time on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you what emergency equipment we keep in our cars and what you should keep in yours. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and, well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed-up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak welcome back everybody and uh i introduced rich as the co-host to the show naturally but kind of failed to mention we got a guest on this week rich uh you want to talk about virgil we have virgil aka the big russian uh, sergeant with the Tulsa Police Department on the phone and former survival instructor with the United States Air Force. Virgil, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. So uh, what's everybody got going on? Well, I'm just sitting here in the living room in front of a roaring fire drinking a cup of coffee. Man, that sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, are you drinking anything special? Um, I don't know if it's anything special. It's a... Uh, it's our, it's our favorite blend. It's just an organic coffee, and a subtle earth. I don't know. So what, what my wife gets is awesome. I, I don't think I've ever heard of subtle earth. Is that the brand yeah, that's name? That's what it says on it. Subtle earth organic coffee. I might have to see if I can. Uh, I might have to see if I can track that down. If you've heard our coffee episode, I get pretty pretty geeky on coffee. What's so? How do you make your coffee? You're a drip coffee pot guy, AeroPress guy. What what's the deal? <laughs> Yeah, just we grind it, you know, the beans are with our little grinder and then just in a, a drip coffee pot. Nothing wrong with that, man. Rich, what about you, man? What are you drinking? I'm drinking Pete's coffee through my Nespresso machine. I've had, uh, see, two Lungos already. Already got up, got the fire going, got breakfast cooked and everybody fed. Brother, we are uh, ready to rock today, man. What That's do you awesome, got? man. Uh, I don't have anything special at all, man. I've got some uh, Seattle's Best Coffee that... I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm moving a little slow this morning. I, we went to a wedding last night, and uh, I let loose a little bit, and I, I was moving real slow getting out of bed this morning, and Kai pressed me a cup of coffee, and uh, I'm glad she did, buddy. I needed it. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So what, what what did you do this week? Let's start with Virgil, man. One of the things we do, Virgil, on the show is we kind of talk about what we've done this week that's made us more resilient, uh, more mentally prepared, physically stronger, uh, all these kind of things. What have you been into, brother? Man, this, this this week has not been a good week in that regard for me. Um, I've been dealing with a, uh, a pinched nerve in my neck that's affecting my shoulder, so I've, I've only worked out a couple of times. And uh, and I worked about uh, I worked probably about seventy hours this week, which is not normal for me. I normally just do forty. And we have these um, call it situational exercises. Uh, tra- training scenarios we do that, that go over the course of four days, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. And th- those are in addition to my normal work week, long, long hours eating terrible food. So this week has not been a good week for me in that regard, to be honest with you. What kind of, no situ- situ- what kind of situational exercises, Virgil? Well, it's basically every type of, um, every type of um, mainstream call type of police officer would uh, would attend to uh, domestic violence, suspicious person, um, uh, a, me- a mental that's or um, mental who is thinking about committing suicide, uh, 
a traffic accident, a robbery in progress, um, a medical emergency. And there's probably more of them. There's quite a, quite a few of them, and we we all the uh, recruits in the recruit class have to attend to each one of those calls uh, during the course of that four night uh, exercise. So, yeah, it's a, a lot. It's a it's a big deal. It's a, there's a, we bring in officers from the field and from detective division and narcotics to to role play for us, and um, it's a gigantic exercise with a lot of man hours involved. So. Getting getting some uh, good training in sounds pretty ATP to me, man. I I, uh, I know that's not a personal, like necessarily a personal growth thing, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we it's 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 good. It's uh, like I said, it's it's a lot a, a lot of work, and um, um, you know, kind of it's not quite as bad for me. My my job is I kind of oversee the entire thing. Um, so, and I've got some great people that work for me who who really do the lion's share of the work to, to make that thing run right. And I just kind of go around and watch and make sure everything's in its place. Um, so yeah, it's good stuff. That's awesome, man. Rich, what about you, man? What'd you do this week, buddy? Oh man, I had a really good range session this week uh, with my training partner. Uh, we worked on a lot of reactive targets, you know, uh, which is something we don't do. We do a lot of, uh, shooting on paper, but reactive targets is something we haven't really done and we got to the range and they were set up for uh, a pro-am competition with a lot of pepper poppers and a lot of uh, dropping steel and some other stuff and we said hey man let's just run the hell out of this and see where that takes us and so that was pretty cool uh other than that a little light lifting didn't get a roll in this week because i got a little bit of medical stuff going on what, what, virgil did you get to roll any this week with your neck being screwed up uh, no, but I, you know, really that's not what kept me out of it. It was my crazy work schedule that kind of kept me from able to work out this week, you know, working, uh, 16 hours a day is what kind of put the, the kibosh on that for me. And Justin, what'd you do, bro? Well, uh, I had to fly down to San Diego and, uh, I was, uh, training some, uh, individuals with Naval Special Warfare down there and it was some pretty intense days some pretty long days. I had to fly out on Veterans Day um, so I, I really didn't get any working out done at all this week. Um, uh, but let's see, uh, I got a busy day today. So, well, so I flew back Friday, uh, sat for about four hours on my tattoo. Um, Kai took, uh, the, all, all three dogs, the vet got all their shots updated. Um, this morning we got up, did our vehicle PMs. We actually drove up to the gas station to do them cause we knew we both needed air in the tires, got all our, uh, all our tires aired up, uh, bought a couple of fluids that we needed, just uh, spares of what, and actually it just fell this week that we had to go through our checklist of, uh, of emergency stuff. So we knocked that out this morning, spent a little bit more time on it than, than is typical. It's typically about three or four minutes to run through the whole thing. And we probably spent a half an hour out there together this morning. And then uh, this afternoon, we're going to bottle some beer, man. We're going to bottle a winter ale called Jake Ruins Winter. Damn, right on. That's ATPAF. Hey, I meant to tell you before you went down there to, to train with the NSW guys, did you make sure that you took a bunch of hair gel with you when you went down there? <laughs> no, and uh, try as I might, I couldn't get them to balance a ball on their nose. So, uh, 
anyway. What, what a, did you give me some of that Navy SEAL cologne that I've been wanting though? When you're in, <laughs> the... Oh no, man. Uh, actually I had, uh, so I had two groups and they were both awesome, man. And, and one thing I love about working with any of the special operations group is it's a very self-selecting group. And almost always those guys take everything they do incredibly seriously. They're you know, I was just walking around the room at the end of each day and uh, some people leave their notes on the desk and stuff. And some people have got like after the first day, like four or five pages of notes are writing down like almost everything I say. They're really, um, really intent on actually learning the content, man. And I, I wish I could get that with all my classes, but I, I certainly don't, man. It was uh, like a joke around, but it, it was two really phenomenal groups. Virgil, you've trained some of those NSW guys, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And I was actually thinking as Justin was talking that that's exactly what I experienced with them. And, and, um, I, you know, I just what I, what I think Justin's training is, is, uh, would be something that I, I'm not surprised they would, they would be taking notes and, and being keenly interested in, you know, what I did with them was, uh, you know, combatives based and, and integrating a handgun into clinch and ground stuff. And, um, which, you know, would be something they'd be inter- interested in, but I, I, I was, I figured that they've had probably had the opportunity to train with, um, a lot of folks and ha- have their own program and, and might be, uh, uh, uh you know, less inclined or not, not so inclined to listen to a guy who's just a police a cop from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But man, I tell you what, they're the best group of guys I've ever trained. I mean, they were, they paid attention um, gave, gave it a hundred percent on everything we worked on. Um, were, uh, you know, willing to learn stuff, even if it was, uh, like maybe not necessarily consistent with what they had done before. Um, yeah, probably not probably by far, actually probably the best, the best, best students I've had training that type of material before. Yeah. I'm very impressed with them. I would agree with that, man. All the most of the special operations asset people are, I mean, just just by nature, they've had to they've had to be that type of person, or they wouldn't, in many cases, have made it to where they are. And of course, there's outliers in in every group, but yeah, I, I totally agree with what Virgil's saying. Every single one of them are coming up on the breaks, asking them like, "Well, what about this? What about like?" asking how it fits into their particular context and asking me what I think about this or that or the other. And yeah, man, it, it is really, really refreshing to have a class like that. And, mo- and I'm really fortunate that most of mine are, but once in a while, it's not the case, but um, yeah, man, it, that it, it's awesome to be able to work in an environment where even though people are told like, yeah, you have to go to this class, they're going to sit there and they're going to get every last thing out of it. They can. Yeah. I think I've probably done, I don't know, somewhere between, I haven't kept track, 10 to 15 classes uh, with those guys. And usually the classes would be, you know, 11 people and, and six of those folks would be actual SEALs and the other folks would be support ele- support elements. And uh, every time it was the same thing. I mean, just, you know, awesome, awesome guys to work with. Speaking of that, man, before we go much further and get into today's topic, which I'm really excited to, uh, Virgil, can you give the listener a little bit of background? Obviously, a I've known you for a few years now, and I think Justin met you briefly in Knoxville, but can you give the listener that maybe is not familiar with Virgil a little bit of back history? Sure. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm from uh, Oklahoma. I grew up out around Claremore, a small, small town outside of Tulsa, and uh, 
went, went to a small high school, had about 80 people graduate in my graduating class and uh, fooled around a little bit working after um, high school and a little bit of college and then just decided to go into the military and went in the Air Force. And uh, when, I, when I went in the Air Force, I thought I wanted to get into air traffic control. And I, when I found out that wasn't going to happen, I had to select something else. And then the, uh, the recruiters were coming around for uh, pararescue, combat control, and survival. It's now called SEER, but back then it was survival instructor. And uh, I thought the survival instructor stuff looked pretty cool. So I started in that process and became a survival instructor. And um, I tell people nowadays when they ask about it, I tell, I tell them I, I was a, it's like a glorified Boy Scout troop leader. I teach, uh, <laughs> take air crew member out into the field and teach them how to survive in the wilderness in the event they crash land or get shot down or eject or what have you. But, uh, yeah, I did that for four years. And, um, then, uh, when I got out, I, I became friends with a trooper in Washington state cause that's where the, uh, the school's at it schools at Fairchild, the, the survival schools at Fairchild air force base in Spokane, Washington. And, uh, became friends with a trooper and I uh, did a ride along and like, most people that become cops, that's how they get hooked. And, uh, but it's pretty cool. So applied and, uh, got hired and, and actually got, got out of the air force about five months early, uh, desert storm was, had just wound down and they were, uh, cutting back. And if, if you had a government job, they'd let you get taken early out. And that's what I did. And, was a trooper for up there for four years. And, uh, my wife, we got my, I got married right before I went in the air force. And, um, while I was a trooper, we had a daughter and she wanted to move back. So we ended up moving back. I got hired by Tulsa police department, uh, and been there ever since. And, uh, so I've been with Tulsa PD now for, uh, 22 years or so, something like that. And, um, you know, I work, I work mainly patrol. Um, I did, I've, I've worked in uh, fugitive warrants. Actually, it's funny. My, my, my time at both departments kind of mirror each other. I worked in fugitive warrants in both places, kind of SWAT team in both places. And, um, I've worked here, worked internal affairs for a few years. I'm currently working out at the, uh, the training center, uh, and, uh, responsible for portions of the, uh, recruit training and, uh, in-service training that veteran officers attend every year. And then uh, also on our SWAT team, I'm a team leader there. So there's a, about 25% of my time is ate up doing SWAT related stuff. So, uh, and uh, I kind of, my, my passion is uh, martial arts. I've been in martial arts since I was uh, about 16 years old and just kind of bounced around doing different things. And I kind of settled in when I got back here, just basically in MMA and, and uh, training at MMA gym here and been doing that for, for the last 22 years. So uh, that's kind of my, uh, it's, it's what I do uh, as a uh, kind of as a hobby. And it kind of dovetails right into the uh, defensive tactics training that I'm responsible for, for our police department. So that's uh kind of my background and experience. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. It's, uh, it, it's always great when you can, uh, kind of find a blend of your hobby with your profession or find, find something that's like applicable to your profession, uh, to, to kind of complement that. And, uh, unfortunately I made my hobby into a profession and now it, 
it's a job. So, um, it's good when you can. It's good when you can find that balance, man. So, uh, Rich, why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the main topic, man? Why don't you explain what we're going to talk about today? Well, the the topic is going to be vehicle preparedness, and really, this is part of a continuation of a suite of episodes we've done uh, bouncing around the the topic, but. This one is going to be specifically like how to prepare your vehicle. And um, the reason I wanted to have Virgil on is when he came down here to help teach at our warrior camp here in Tennessee, uh, he and I were discussing, we had a very similar truck, an F-150 four-wheel drive truck. And he was talking about how he had his setup and he had taken his kind of the next level. So I'm like, dude, we got to get you on the show to talk about some of this stuff. So um, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about it today. And um, I guess, man, Justin, you want to lead us into this? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you guys. This is probably one area that I, I quite honestly, have a little bit, am not quite as prepared on, I'm not quite as up on as some of the other things that we talk about. Like Kai and I went through our, as I mentioned, we went through our emergency equipment checklist in the vehicle today. I don't have all that stuff in my vehicle. Not all of it's really applicable to me. Um, I mean, snow chains are out here in the Pacific Northwest, like going through the Going through many of the passes over the Cascades, you you have to have snow chains. There's just no two ways around it. But um, like some of the other stuff, I I'm not definitely not as good on as I need to be. Um, so I'd say first things first before we talk about the stuff, which is probably what most people are interested in, the crap you should keep in your vehicle. Um, I would say uh, you need to worry about keeping your vehicle in in good shape, keeping it running condition. And you know, Kai and I were. Like I mentioned, we went up to the store to do our PMs today so we could do our tire pressure, and we both knew we're probably going to need air, so we just went went up there and uh, you know went through everything, and then uh, put put air in our tires. And as we're you know waiting for tires to fill up and stuff, we're just kind of chatting about how good it feels to know that if we're on the road and we start hearing something with our vehicle, we know it's not because it's low on oil because we haven't checked the oil in three months. We know it's not because the tire's low on air, or if it is, it's because we have a major problem. We, we know all those little things are taken care of. So um, I, I think that's kind of uh, one of the baseline steps. Yeah, so and, and so, that's, so that's keeping your vehicle fueled up, keeping it well-maintained. Uh, one of the things that Virgil, I was going to ask you, when I was a, a police officer, we had a departmental policy that you always backed in your vehicle. Is that something that they should consider or not? Or not? Um, it, yeah, it, it is not a, you know, it's funny when I was a trip, when I was a trooper in Washington, everybody did that. We were taught to do it and everybody did it. It was standard operations. Right. And at, at TPD, I don't see that nearly as much. It's not a, it's not a thing here, but it is a great idea to do it. And, um, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I, when I park my vehicle, um, I, what I typically do is I, what I'm more a little bit more focused on is, is, uh, parking in a, this is going to sound, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I, I park it where I'm not going to get dinged. And, uh, cause I'm a real, I'm, I, my, my truck is like in pristine condition. I'm trying to keep it that way. So I'll park where I'm not going to get dinged. And that turns out it's usually at the end of a, um, parking space where it's more out in the open. And, uh, and another benefit to that is it puts you in a place where you're much less likely to have your vehicle burglarized because it's going to be out in the end spot somewhere where 
if you're going to burglarize that vehicle, you're going to be right out in the open doing it. So, yeah. And I think there's, I think there's something, uh, something to be said for that. So I, I want to go back and talk about the fuel thing, but uh, on this like backing in or pulling in, um, I've actually been kind of subject to a little bit of peer pressure here because Kai always backs in her vehicle and I'm like, man, I should, I should really probably be making the effort to do that. And I think, you know, like if there's some sort of emergency that we've got to get out of the area immediately, I think the time it takes to back the vehicle out versus pull it out is minimal. I, I really don't think that's a super a huge thing you need to worry about. Now, as a police officer, that'd be different. But but just for us as a, an emergency preparedness thing or whatever, I, I don't think it makes a difference one way or the other. But what I do think it makes a difference on is you get to choose the time and place that you back in. You get to... Um, like I'm backing in when I get to the store, not after I've been there in the grocery store for an hour and I'm tired and I'm just ready to get home. And I have way more visibility pulling out of that space than I do backing out of that space. And there's probably more, you know, potential for someone to be in the thoroughfare that I'm moving from the parking space into. So I want the best visibility I can possibly have just to avoid hitting another car, hitting a person that might be out there uh, or whatever. So I've been I have really been trying to do that. And to Virgil's point about parking at the very end of the parking lot, um, I, 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 <laughs> uh, sometimes I, I'm not going to lie, man. Sometimes at our local grocery store, there's a, there's a veteran parking space and I don't take a lot of veterans benefits, man. I don't go to golden corral on veterans day to get a free meal. I, I, I that's not what I joined the military for, but I, Sometimes I do, I admit, take that veteran parking space, but uh, frequently I'll just go all the way to the end of the lot, like Virgil's saying, because there's plenty of parking, and I'm a grown-ass man, dude. I can walk 200 yards into that store. It's not that big deal. There's nothing that drives me crazier than seeing some dude drive a big, jacked-up truck with no fear stickers or you know whatever, like his stick-figure family that's all like AR-15s or whatever see him park that truck as close as he can to the store and get out in the rain and run through the rain to get like holding a jacket over his head. It's like, come on, dude, you're driving this truck. Be a freaking man. And just like this rain shouldn't bother you that much. Anyway, that's a sidebar rain. <laughs> I love it. So where do we go next, man? Uh, let's talk, let's talk about that fuel thing. Uh, Rich, I know you've said you never come home on, uh, on more than three quarters of a tank of gas, uh, Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, it's just something that uh, less than three quarters of a tank is is kind of my golden rule, because uh, you know you're more prepared if you're going to bug out and you've got you know less than an, an eighth of a tank or something. How far are you really going to be able to go uh, if you are stuck on the farm? Like I've mentioned before, during the ice storm, you're not going to be able to run anything with that. So that's kind of a general rule I stick to, and it's easy to do, you know, because I live way out in the freaking middle of nowhere, as both of you can attest, and. You know, we, I think it's I think it's important. Plus, I've had to siphon off stuff uh, to use so that I didn't have to take that 40-minute drive into town. So I, I agree. I, I would say half a tank for most of our listeners. Uh, I know where, where I live, uh, major city, if you're going into the city, uh, like if you commute into the city, you could, you know, you could potentially be stopping for gas every single day if you're uh if you're doing uh three quarters of a tank but yeah i I would say at least a half a tank is a prudent minimum virgil do you got any uh any opinion on that or i I agree with what you guys are saying i i I try to keep mine above a half and then um another thing that kind of coincides with this i i keep a a lot of gasoline uh, at my house as well i say a lot like i i have uh on hand 25 
gallons of gas at any given time uh, in, in so, so five, five gallon containers. And then I keep my, my, my mowers and all that stuff gassed up all the time as well. And the idea being that if I'm at home and I need to leave and I don't have sufficient fuel in my vehicles, I've always got enough gas on hand to at least, you know, you know, my truck holds like 35 gallons of gas. It's got a gigantic gas tank. So, but, so I always have enough gas on hand. If I need to leave from the house, I could, of course, that would take time, fill it up from there or just throw those gas cans in the back of the truck. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about the potential for not having the ability to get gas easily. Well, and I think you're right, Virgil. And I, of course, as, as you know, you and I've talked about this, I've got five or six five-gallon jugs as well, but you and I both have generators to run our home. So I think that's part of that might be driving that decision-making as well, right? Well, uh, you know, the generator, not for me so much because mine, I get mine set up to run off the, the uh, natural gas from the house. But if that was um, if that was disrupted, I can actually run my generator also off of gasoline because it's a, it's a dual-fuel setup. So, yeah, in a way, yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, my uh, unfortunately my situation doesn't really support that, uh, so I gotta you know I pretty much gotta go with what's in the tank, and you know maybe I should have riches three quarters of a tank mentality, knowing that's that's all, that's what I'm gonna have and that's all I'm gonna have. But uh, yeah, I, I I think for most of our listeners, a half a tank is a prudent minimum when you when you start to approach half a tank. That's probably when you should think about getting gas, not when your fuel light comes on, right? Correct. So what's next? Um, all right. So next, I'm going to say admin stuff that should probably be in your vehicle. I'm, I'm pretty big on this. First and foremost, we've, we talked about this a lot during the EDC bag episode quite a bit. You should absolutely have a phone charger in your vehicle. Your phone is a lifeline to emergency services. It's a lifeline to AAA if you're using that. It's a lifeline to your friends. It's uh, it's mapping software. It's, it's probably many people's GPS. It's, um, it, it's pretty much everything, man. Yeah, yeah totally. I I agree that that's a that that should be a given. <laughs> that, that that should be something that everybody has in their vehicle. Um, yeah, shouldn't even be a question. Yeah, should be, and uh, and a lot of people do. But I am still shocked by the number of people that don't have a charger for their phone in their vehicle. And uh, man, I I just have one. Uh, I just bought an extra cable, and it stays in my vehicle. It never leaves, and it's just there when I when I need a charger. It seems like that shouldn't should be a thing that we don't have to say, but. You know, I don't, I don't want to leave anything to chance here. I absolutely think you should have a phone charger in your vehicle. Yeah, and the next thing we're going to talk about is the phone mount. Um, and before I ask you guys how you use yours, I'm going to tell you why I don't have one. Um, I may start because I think it's a pretty good idea, but one of the things that I found, um, I always keep my firearm on my person. I keep my keys in, uh, I mean, my uh, flashlight in my pocket, my phone in my pocket, my wallet in my pocket, my knife in my pocket. So my EDC that's on my body stays on my body. But the reason I adopted that rule is one time I was driving back from Nashville, then it's about hour and a half to two hour drive from my friend's house out there. And uh, Lisa was asleep in the car. It's like midnight. We're coming back. And um, a seven car pileup happens right in front of me. And I'm like, oh, shit pull the car off the road. I jump out and I take off running and I about a hundred yards down the line. I'm, I've, I go to pull my flashlight out to check on these people that are in an overturned vehicle. And I realize I had taken my flashlight and all my equipment and laid it 
inside the car on the console. So I'm completely, I have nothing to help anybody. Can't cut anybody out of a seatbelt. Can't do jack. Can't call 911. And I'm like, never again will I have to run back to the car to get my first aid kit and all my shit. I should have had it on me. So that, that, that was a little lesson for me, man. Yeah. And, and I agree. I keep all that stuff on my pocket with the exception of my phone. And, you know, I keep my phone in my pocket, but unfortunately if I need to charge that phone, it's, it's not going to be in my pocket. If I need to, if I'm using the GPS and I'm navigating off that phone, it's not going to be in my pocket. And I think navigation especially creates a hazard. If you're just laying that thing on your leg, like I see a lot of people do, like I did for a long time, because you're constantly having to look down. Uh, It's not right there in front of your face. And since that phone has to be out of my pocket to charge or whatever else, uh, I want to know it's in exactly the same place every time. Man, I've, I've been around and around and around with this with vehicles. I'll go around a sharp turn and my phone will slide off something and slide between the seats or whatever. Um, I think just having that, uh, you know, I, obviously I prefer to have it in my pocket. Not always, not always the case, not always appropriate for the situation. So always knowing exactly where it is and having it in a place that I can navigate without being unsafe. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't have one in my truck, but I'll, uh, although I would, I would like to have one. I've actually kind of been looking around, but I just can't, I can't find. I haven't figured out a good spot where I'd like to mount one in my truck. So mine, my truck has a little place on the console that the phone fits perfectly. So I got to admit that I, I don't have a mount for it, and uh, I'm not, I'm not super concerned that if I don't ever get one, I'm, I, I'm not too worried about it. You know, one of the th- one of the things that I always think about, like Justin, to your point about leaving the phone out laying, is that issue like with the um, the Miami uh, shootout back in April of 1986. Two of the officers had never been trained to to remove their firearms from their holster. To, I think two two of them did, and they lost the the firearms in the wreck, uh, the ensuing crash that led to the gunfight. So I always look at that like. If my phone is out of my pocket, it has the potential to fly around inside the vehicle. In and if I have a wreck, I'll be spending the first few moments of the of the wreck uh, aftermath trying to find my phone. But maybe a secure mount is the way to go, man. Maybe if, if it can take the rollover, you know. You know, I I am one hundred percent a proponent of. I I I look down at my nose at my friends who, when they get in their vehicle, they take their gun off and set it under the seat or something like that. I'm just, I am absolutely 100% against that that your your knife your flashlight your your gun and that 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 particularly the gun that stays on your body you do not take it i don't care if i'm driving for 10 hours straight the gun stays on me because you, you, inevitably you're going to get out of the car and you're going to leave it in the in the car and you're in, in 5 feet away from your car when you need the gun back in the car is too far away <laughs> so maybe i should think more of it like that with the phone you know but um I guess with the phone, I, I, as a practical matter, like you're saying, Justin, I, um, I use it for stuff. I use it to navigate. I use it to listen to music. And so as a practical matter, it just, it's, you know, it's not going to stay on me. I, I, and I think I just accept that, but maybe I should think more about that given my strong stance on keeping your weapons on your body and not taking them off. So, yeah, I, I strongly agree with, um, you know, my EDC items, never like none of them come off my body at all like once they're on they're on until i undress at night um but my like my phone like like virgil says i use it for music i use it for uh you know i use it for navigation i use it for podcasts i use it for audiobooks i uh, you know it's it's constantly out of my pocket and and honestly so is everybody else's and 
especially for navigation, man, I, I think, and, and Virgil, if you've got a nice place where it sits and it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not unsafe, then I think that's probably the 90% solution right there. Like the, the thing that bugs me is around here, everybody uses their GPS all the time because traffic is so, like even if you know where you're going, traffic is just so shitty around here that you're going to use your GPS to see which route looks the best, see what's going to, you know, see if it's backed up on this highway or that street or whatever. And uh, I see an awful lot of people just laying the phone on their leg and looking down, taking their eyes off the road for sometimes longer periods of time than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. So let's there, talk I, about the next one. Man. I mean, there's there, so there, like you say, Rich. There's, there's pros and cons to all that. But if you uh, if you are going to have it out of your pocket, I'm I'm a proponent that it needs to have a place and uh, and a place that'll something that'll actually hold it in place pretty well. Go ahead. Now let's. I, I agree with all that. I'm, I am going to look for a mount today when I get out. To, let's talk about money. All right, man. This is another thing in uh, <laughs> in living a, in a around a major city. I absolutely think you should have some cash. That's hidden but accessible on your vehicle, and uh, I think you should have uh, some small bills, uh, you know, ones and fives, and then a couple bucks in twenties, just for things like um, tolls. Like we've talked about this before, the EDC bag. There's tolls around here where you can throw change in the basket. There's tolls around here where uh, you can pull up to a toll booth and, and pay in cash or whatever. And, uh, you know, man, it's, it's just not worth paying that $25 convenience fee for it later to go through that easy pass lane when you don't have an easy pass and they take a picture of your, uh, license plate and mail you that bill. Um, actually, man, I hate to say it. I'm fighting that right now on a, on a toll road. I went through probably six months ago that wasn't clear. I didn't even know it was a toll road. I get the bill for it. I pay the bill then turn like I, the the check cashed for sure, and then turns out a few weeks later they hadn't got it on time, so I'm being charged twenty five dollars. And I called and I thought that was cleared up. And just last weekend I got a letter in the mail from a collection service saying I owe seventy five dollars and it's going to impact my credit and all this bullshit. So believe me, it's far less painful to pay that toll up front. We also have to worry about things like paying for parking. And where I live, it's not uncommon at all for parking to be $20, $25, $30 a day in some places. Um, being able to pull out some change and put air in your tires and and just having some cash on hand, man. It's funny you say that, Justin. Uh, my wife and I drove uh, all the way up, uh, took a long road trip this, this past summer up to Gig Harbor, Washington, and all the way back. And I got dinged uh, in uh, – well, in Washington on a bridge and in Colorado on a toll road toll road and i knew nothing i didn't even know the toll road in colorado existed and i ended up in almost exactly the same set of facts you just described with the uh colorado toll road i finally got it taken care of just this past week i just just went ahead and freaking paid the whole everything the the fine the the extension fee and everything and got it got it taken care of but yeah that was that was frustrating yeah what a what a pain in the ass and also how random it is you mentioned gig harder i can't talk uh, it's super random that you mentioned Gig Harbor because Kai and I were just talking about Gig Harbor last night, and I, that's not a place that comes up in a lot of my yeah. conversations. It's a beautiful spot too. I, hey, I'm, I'm I keep money in my truck uh, pro- probably for all the same reasons you talked about, uh, in about the same amount actually, in, in the same fashion. I, I'm interested uh, your take on um, keeping it hidden because I, I don't. Um, so, what are your thoughts on keeping it 
hidden somewhere. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Greg Elifritz. He's a, a cop in Ohio who has a blog called ActiveResponseTraining.net. Every year, he writes a blog post called Lock Your Damn Doors. And basically, it's from it, it's a report from his jurisdiction's vehicle break-ins. And basically, vehicle break-ins boil down to two things. There's one of two factors that will get your vehicle broken into or get it not broken into, and that is either whether or not you lock your doors, thieves are going to be much less likely to get in your vehicle if your doors aren't locked. And the other thing is if you have valuables plainly visible, sometimes even if your doors are locked, if there's something valuable that's plainly visible from the exterior, uh, and I don't mean hidden like you know layers deep in the seat fabric or whatever, uh, I'm just saying keep that stuff out of out of sight from the exterior of the vehicle. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, it's funny, we have this running kind of a joke with one of the cops around here is that uh, only cars that have stuff in that can be taken are the ones that get burglarized. Um, Cause that, you're, you're exactly right. Burglars, VFD uh, suspects, they're either looking in to see something that they can take, or they're just t- trying doors that are unlocked or they're watching actually. And they're watching you pull into a parking lot and put stuff back in your car, shut the door and walk away. And they go that that's, that's some good stuff. Now I'm going to go break into that car. So, yeah, I, I, I completely get it now with that, the idea of keeping it hidden out, out of sight. Yeah. And you got to be careful about getting out of your car and, and putting stuff where they, the bad guys are watching you do that, too. You don't, don't do that. That's not good either. Yeah, I was talking to a friend last night that lives in Baltimore, uh, Maryland. Now, obviously, a fairly high crime city saying that occasionally you could just see someone walking down a line of cars parked on the street trying every door handle they could find until they find one that's unlocked. And then obviously that's the one that, that they're going to spend some time on because they don't have to break a window or risk setting off a car alarm. So lock your damn doors. No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) All right, Rich, what's next, buddy? Well, the next one is uh, we got uh, on our admin stuff is kind of paper towels and window cleaner. And and why is that important? Man, if your windows are dirty, if you don't have great visibility – uh, you're putting yourself at risk. If you've got, uh, I notice my vehicles over time. Uh, I, I don't smoke, or I'm I'm not a smoker. I don't smoke. I certainly don't smoke in my vehicles. No one else does. So I don't know where this crap comes from. But over time, you get this film built up on your windshield. If you don't clean that stuff off, it um, it starts to impede your vision. I think you should be cleaning your windows, uh, the inter- the inside of those windows, on a fairly regular basis. Just like you and I talked about having windshield washer fluid, and just like today, I while we're, I was up there at the service station i bought two gallons of windshield washer fluid keeping the inside of your windows clean is just as important as keeping the outside clean well we talked about this on that uh, vehicle pmcs podcast and by the way if you haven't checked out our book on amazon uh, i'm sure Justin will talk to us about that here in just a little bit but one of the things is i i go and have my vehicle i don't have my vehicle but i wash my vehicle at least once a week and i, I pay that twenty dollars monthly and i make sure that i use it every every chance i can every chance I can. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right. For some reason, I don't smoke in my vehicle either. I don't allow anybody to smoke inside my vehicle. But there's a layer of dust and haze or whatever uh, from the road that gets in there. And, and you got to clean that off. It doesn't do any good to have clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside because it can definitely impede your vision. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I don't have to worry about that. If you, I've got issues. I can't let my truck be dirty at all. And uh, I take... When Seaclander he gets in my truck, he always makes a comment about how it's so clean, it's ridiculous. So, because <laughs> his truck is filthy, that's why. Well, that could be it too. It just the stark contrast between his filthy rig, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And also, uh, if you like, uh, like we do have three large dogs, your side window, all your side windows are going to have nose prints all over them. And sometimes that feels almost hopeless trying to keep that stuff cleaned off. So that's the admin stuff, man. What are we doing? What are we going to talk about next? All right. So next, uh, I, I've kind of broken this out into stuff to keep you moving, stuff to keep your body healthy, keep your body um, surviving in some sort of emergency situation, some sort of breakdown, some sort of whatever. And uh, I'd say first thing, every single human should have in their vehicle. And, and when we get into this equipment, before I get into the specific things here, um, your chances, even if you don't have the knowledge to use these things, uh, your chances of finding someone that can help you will, are drastically impre- increased if you have the actual tools like jumper cables. There's a lot of people that would be glad to jump you off that probably don't have jumper cables. Your chances of finding someone that will help you with the necessary equipment is probably pretty low. But if you already have the cables, for instance, probably easy to find someone with a car that's willing to willing to spend a couple minutes helping you out. So uh, first things first, I think everybody should have a first aid kit in their vehicle that's uh, – big enough to deal with some level of trauma and I would say specifically kind of geared toward vehicle accidents because that's what you're most likely to encounter out there on the highway. What what say you guys? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, uh, I think to, big enough to handle uh, trauma from like an accident, so wound dressings for that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how applicable a tourniquet would be in a car accident, but um, it might be. So a a tourniquet in there. And then beyond that, like mine, I I have um, stuff that I might need to use in a kind of a bug out situation or just day to day, like um, uh, wet wipes, Neosporin, um, uh, Band-Aids, all all this, the small stuff like that. And then medication, you know, ibuprofen, aspirin, uh, Benadryl tablets. Um, I even, you know, I, I have muscle relaxers in there, any type of, uh, uh, you know, small meds that would be something that would be, uh, you you might use or need on a, um, more long-term basis too. So yeah, definitely all that stuff. Well, and and to to your point though, Virgil, about the tourniquet. So when I, uh, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, I took a job as a a store manager for a, a large lows here in Tennessee. And, um, when I first got there, I came to my first morning meeting and there was two dudes missing legs and I'm like, Oh, they must be vets. Cause they were the right age. And, you know, and they're missing their one's missing a right leg. One's missing a left leg. After it, I started talking to them and both of them had lost legs in a motorcycle accident. And, uh, so even if traditional, uh, automobile accidents don't require tourniquets. I think there's a great uh, opportunity for tourniqueting someone who's been in a a motorcycle wreck if nothing else. But uh, so anything else on that, Justin? Yeah. So uh, back to what Virgil said about keeping some, I guess, clinical type stuff in there like Neosporin and meds and things like that. Um, Personally, I keep that in my EDC bag and, and that's stuff I actually use pretty frequently, man. Cut myself shaving or cut myself doing some performing some little task. I've, I've got that in my EDC bag. I can, it's real handy. I can pull that stuff out. I just want to get Virgil's opinion on, and this is where we get into a little bit of a unique challenge with vehicles. There's massive temperature fluctuations in that vehicle. So, you know, 100, 120 degrees in the summer, if you're parked in the sun down to whatever the lows in your area are. And, you know, kind of just opinion on, 
what is the, uh, you know, do, do you treat that medication differently? Does it have a shorter shelf life or a shorter uh, efficient shelf life? Being exposed to those drastic temperature swings and 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 long, spending long term in extreme temperatures and just kind of get an opinion on that. And uh, I don't keep anything like that in my vehicle. Basically, I just made a bag that's got a bunch of four by fours, some combine dressings, and a bunch of gauze and a and again a tourniquet and some trauma shears. Um, what's your thoughts on that, Virgil? It's a good point. I don't know. Uh... I'm actually not, you know, shame on me. I'm not really considered how the uh, extreme temperatures might affect, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I need to look into that. You know, does it affect things like aspirin, Tylenol, ibuprofen, um, uh, um, Benadryl tablets? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I know, uh, like, I'm familiar with the concept that prescription medications just lose um, their uh, you know, their effectiveness over just a period of time, even just kept in per- a perfect environment. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know, but, uh, maybe I should think about cycling those out every, maybe every year or so, so that I have fresh, uh, medication in there, but I definitely think carrying it in your vehicle, I think is a good idea. Now you talked about in your EDC bag, um, like I have a, a, a a back, you know, I don't know what I would call it, if I call it a go bag or whatever, but I, I keep a backpack in my truck and my med kit actually stays in my backpack. Um, so. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that, so that comes in and out with you every day? Uh, no, it stays, it stays in my pickup truck. So that, that in, in my truck is, so as far as temperature extremes and my truck is parked in my garage, which is climate controlled. So it kind of helps that a little bit, but um, so this, uh, the, the bag that contains my med kit actually stays in my vehicle. Okay. Gotcha. Well, keeping that in a climate controlled garage probably does make a huge difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm just always curious about that. Cause I know trying to keep, you know, any kind of emergency food, it's pretty much going to have to be something like shitty, like an MRE to, to survive those kind of temperatures. Um, like from freezing to crazy, crazy hot temperatures. I was just kind of curious your take on that you know my well if you know i don't get off track but i i I keep food in that pack as well and i I just cycled out that food literally like a couple of months ago and uh the um i had daytrex in there and there's these there's these survival food bars and they're in a vacuum seal come in a vacuum sealed um uh, mylar packages and so my, my truck, even though it stays in the garage, I mean, there's times in the, in the summer, you know, I'm out and it's 100 degrees here in Oklahoma. It gets hot. Those were in there for, gosh, the last four years, three years, maybe three years. And I, I swapped them out the other day and I opened up the packages and I ate some of the stuff that was in there and it tasted fine, smelled fine. I had no problems eating it. So the, I think if you are like for as far as food, if you're careful what you select, there are there are food items emergency food items that are designed to um, stay stay effective even in extreme temperature fluctuation and those certainly did those were day treks like i said they tasted great and they were at least three years old maybe four years old and been riding back there in my pack the whole time gotcha i'll I'll see if i can find some of those uh all right rich uh what's next buddy well a gallon of water man yeah and yeah i would say a gallon is an absolute minimum yeah, you know, I, I again in, in my pack that's in my truck, I, I uh, keep 
four bottles of water there. So I don't think I'm running at a gallon. Uh, whatever that is, I think they're 16 ounce bottles. So not quite a gallon. And I think uh, you can, well, for me, I, I supplement that with, with, I have a compact water filter in there and iodine tablets if I needed to treat some water. So, yeah. So we, we both keep two gallons to just two gallon jugs loose in the car. And both of us have, uh, both Kai and I, I have two 32 ounce stainless steel bottles in my EDC bag, which is always in the car on me. Kai has a 64 ounce stainless steel bottle in her bag. That's in her car, always on her. Plus we just have two one gallon jugs and those are, those get used, man. Believe it or not. Those are awesome. If, um, if you need to put antifreeze in your radiator, uh, you're probably going to have to dilute that in many cases. We take the dogs for hikes, and we water the dogs out of that stuff, and it gets replaced as it gets used. But uh, I, I think a gallon for most people is, is probably a good minimum just to throw in the trunk or throw excuse me, throw under the back seat, and that will last for a very, very long time, and probably you're not going to need it. But if you do, it's there when you need it. Yeah, so uh, the next thing we got on here is a, blank, a blanket, man. And I know that's more of a cold weather thing, but a blanket could also be used for other things than just cold weather, right? Yeah, definitely. So I, I use one pretty frequently to like cover up my EDC bag when I leave it in the car. I don't want to leave that you know nice-looking backpack sitting in the car where anybody can see it walking by. If you need to you know, lay down on the ground to work on something, if the you know the ground's covered in snow and you need to change a tire, you can put something down to basically uh, keep your body off of that ground. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, I, I do that as well. And, and uh, actually, my I keep a, have a shooting mat in my truck that stays in there all the time as well. So I could kind of supplement that with that. But yeah, I think some type of, um, you know, where the blankets for warmth and, and then um you know whatever else you need to supplement that for staying warm if you if particularly if you're in a cold environment or it's that time of the year where you live it could be really important all right so let's talk about stuff that keeps your vehicle moving justin what do we got on there well first thing i would say reference all the way back to episode six you need all the stuff you need to change a tire would you agree yeah yeah de- definitely and uh you know, this, everything you need to change the tire, um, make, make sure your spare is in good repair. Make sure it's, consi- you know, it's uh, consistent with your vehicle, with the, other ve- the other wheels and tires you have. You know, like by, by that, I, I mean that like my truck, I have just slightly oversized tires um, on there. You know, uh, they're, they're uh, all-terrain tires. And, you know, when I, when I recently put new tires on, you know, I did what I always do. I put new tire on the spare as well. And it's this exact same tire that goes on as the rest of them. So that it's a, it's a good quality tire. And, uh, you know, so I'm not, I'm not putting some piece of junk spare on there that may not last a, a, uh, you know, like it should. And then on top of that, you know, yeah, something to, you know, for me, I, I have a, uh, air compressor, you know, a little miniature air compressor in there that, uh, I can use to air, air a tire up. I've got plugs, you know, and those don't take up a lot of space uh, to plug a tire, um, you know, find the hole in the tread, plug that sucker, and then air it back up again. Um, again, maybe may overkill, but uh, I want to be prepared that uh, that's not going to keep me from moving forward. Hey, Virgil, what about slime or fix-a-flat? Have you have any or emergency signaling equipment, anything like that in your truck? 
So um, I, I do. I keep a, 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 a bottle of slime in there as well um, that I could use to try to fix the flat. Um, and I think I think most um, like in, in, in the in, in my experience, the, the the flats that I've gotten on vehicles has been by something poking through the the tread. And uh, you know, I just think about my my personal cars and my police cars that I've had, and it seems like when those are repaired, they uh, I've commonly seen those repaired with as far as an easy repair is with those plugs that you know they're just that that strip of uh, cordage looking, you know, rubber cordage looking material that you put a little bit of cement on, you put it in the, uh, the tool and just jam it right into that, uh, that hole and then trim it off. So, but yeah, actually I do in the event that something like that's not working for me. Yep. For sure. You and I are, are pretty close to being right on the same page with that. I have a little a kit by slime, in my vehicle that has a little miniature compressor it's it's only rated for passenger cars it's uh my my i have a compact suv probably much smaller than yours but um so it it will fill the it will fill a passenger vehicle tire might have a hard time with your uh with your oversized uh f-150 tires but that a thing of slime there's the uh the tools and the cordage for those plugs i've got those things in there um, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a $75 investment. Maybe it's a little bit of overkill, but we do, uh, some, we spend a lot of time on the road going a very, very long way from home by vehicle, just kind of as a, a hobby, uh, our vacations, we do a lot of long road trips. And, uh, I think if you're, especially out in the West where you could easily go in some cases, a hundred miles between gas stations, that is really something to think about if you you know if you're on the east coast where you can't throw a dead cat without hitting four shell stations and a mcdonald's probably don't need to go to that extent but if you're really getting out into some wild places that's probably a good idea and having said all that you know uh tire pressure gauge i mean you have to have that jumper cables you already talked about that justin uh anything else on on those kind of things uh well i i do have one question for virgil so virgil you have a uh you have a full-size spare uh, with your vehicle, do you have that rotated in when you have your tires rotated? No, I don't. Um, uh, it's cause it's just too, I, I find it to be too big of a hassle. So, and I actually do my own tire rotation. So I, I just don't. Um, and, and also that as a practical, well, I guess it's not a practical issue. It's a vanity issue. That spare is not on the, uh, Chrome, same Chrome appearance rims that are on my truck. So, if I, if you rotate it in, it'd be this steel wheel, you know, that doesn't match the rest of the truck. So, uh, so I don't. Um, so what I end up doing is, uh, I, you know, set of tires last long time for me, cause I don't put a lot of miles on my truck. So, um, I just bite the bullet. And when I put new tires on there, I just go ahead and put a new spare on there. Um, if I think I'm even close to being, poor, uh, pushing up towards like dry rot and that kind of thing on it. So, to answer your question, no, I, I don't rotate it in, and I just accept that it's going to sit back there and just get old and need to be replaced. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I um, I, I am I, so I just bought. I, well, I just got a lift kit for my vehicle. I'm going to put vi- like very, very modestly oversized tires, and uh, to the casual observer, you probably never even know it's it's been lifted. But I got to do that just to fit. Um, 
just to get like the you know the smallest size of BF Goodwrench all terrains under there. But uh, basically, my plan is just to buy four, five steel rims that. Uh, I, I have no vanity, man. I have no, I don't really care what my vehicle looks like, but, um, I, I totally respect that though. If you, if the, the thing that I'm concerned about with a lot of people that do that, because I see there's a Jeep in our apartment building that this guy has, uh, the BF Goodrich radial all-terrain or, uh, radial mud terrains on all four tires. And they're all about to need a replacement. And he's got a brand new one back on the, on the back of the Jeep that's never been worked in. And I'm just like, man, what the hell are you doing? You could get 20% more mileage out of your tires. But I mean, you like, I do respect that you fully understand that and you go ahead and pony up for a new one when it's, when it's time to get new tires. Yeah. My, I'm, you know, I bought, when I bought my truck new, I put actually, actually BF Goodrich all trains on there. And then, uh, when those tires wore out, I bought five brand, brand new tires, you know, it's just, it's what I do. I know. It, and it's, is uh, you're right the big thing is being aware knowing that your spare is in good condition and then it's consistent with the rest of your um size wise and all that with the rest of the tires that are on your vehicle so yeah so un- unfortunately i haven't gone with a full-size spare yet because i'm gonna have to buy some sort of like uh trailer hitch mount to put it on the back of my vehicle because it won't fit in the in the spare tire area so not something i've gotten around to yet but it's definitely on the to-do list uh rich you were about to say something man i'm I'm sorry i keep cutting you off no no worries man i was just gonna say uh when virgil mentioned dry rod it reminded me um a friend of mine uh was around someone that suffered a gunshot wound and he went to his uh fat kit pulled out his rubber gloves and as he went to put them on to treat the guy's wounds they were completely dry rotted so that's something that you want to change out in your kit whether they're latex or nitrate Probably a good idea maybe once a year to change those out as well. That's a good call. I agree. And that's just like I find it's valuable just, I don't know, at least once a year. Take all your stuff and just pull it out. Like you're saying, pull it out, look at it. You know, remind yourself of, of what you have in there and, you know, look at its condition and, 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 and you know, because your, your thinking may change over a period of time too. You know, you're, your, your needs may change over a period of time and just see what you have, you know, and, and reevaluate and, and see what kind of condition it's in. I think yeah. that's significantly important. That's a great idea. And I'm going to tell on myself, man, the other day I pulled everything out of my IFAC kit and I realized that when I was tr- working on the efficacy of the different tourniquets, I bought a SWAT tee, I bought a soft tee, I bought a cat, I bought a rat and I, and I've been playing with the different ones. Well, the, the rat I put in the IFAC kit that's in my EDC bag. So Justin and I are getting ready for an upcoming show where we do a follow-up to our EDC bag. So I pulled that uh, kit out, just like you said, Virgil. I laid everything out, and I looked at that rat tourniquet and went, man, I haven't seen this thing in two years. So I, I started playing with it again, and uh, you know, almost for a, for, a, for a second, I'm like, man, how do you even use this freaking thing? Because it's not what I use all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm kind of fortunate in a way that, um, you know, I, I, I get uh, training on that whether I want it or not. You know, every so often via um, just from being on the police department, it's part of our annual training, both as just regular officers and uh, on the SWAT team. So, uh, I'm kind of fortunate in that regard. Yeah. So, what else we got? All right, man. So. Um... Talk about all the stuff you need to change your tires. We talked about a tire pressure gauge, which is going to be 
necessary if you're doing your weekly vehicle preventive maintenance checks and services which you absolutely should be doing you want to make sure you're riding on properly inflated tires both for the efficacy of that vehicle and for your own safety um, you mentioned jumper cables let's let's talk about that for just a minute man i don't want to I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds. Like there's articles that say you need X gauge jumper cables and this long or whatever. The bottom line is you need to have some, man. Um, I've <laughs> I've seen a lot of people that need, you know, sitting at let's say a grocery store or a Walmart or a gas station or whatever that need a jump and don't have jumper cables. So now they're reduced to waiting on someone that comes along that does have a set of jumper cables. And I guess if they were at Walmart, they could go in and buy it. So it probably wasn't a Walmart. But um, if you don't have the tool to get yourself jumped off, you massively reduce the number of people that can help you. Um, anyone can help you if you have the cables to do it. If you don't have them, you got to wait for that one ATP guy or gal that actually has a set of jumper cables in their car. Also, this gives you an awesome opportunity to help somebody else out, man. If you've got the cables to do it and you see somebody that's uh, that's looking for a jump, man, you'll actually be able to do that. I'm, I'm a big proponent of carrying jumper cables in your vehicle. Yeah, I, I agree. We, uh, To me, that's just, a, 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 again, a given. Um, they're in both of our vehicles, you know, stand, baseline uh equipment right there well i mean you you would you would hope you would hope a set of jumper cables would come with uh, every new vehicle sold but uh man i i god i could probably count on one hand the number of people i know that actually have jumper cables in their vehicles um have, do you guys have any experience with like the pre-charge battery packs that you can keep in your vehicle that will jump your car off i don't and i've actually been thinking about buying those and I, I've, I've been looking at them but i haven't purchased one yet and i should because i think um you know, those are something that haven't been around for a long time. They, uh, those really super compact ones that have the lithium ion batteries in there. So those things will hold their charge just sitting there for a, a long, long period of time. And uh, I think the I need to get one of those. That's something I've been putting off and there's no reason not to have one because um, then you can jumpstart your own car. And then you can also use that battery pack to if uh, do things like you know they have USB connections on them, so you could charge a phone or something off of it too. And that would keep a that would keep a phone running for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, I, I I'll be honest, man. I've looked at these. I I had one, and I bought like the biggest one Walmart had because I was driving a, a diesel truck at the time, and it was never enough to actually. If my battery ran down, it, it was never actually enough juice to charge that thing or to, to get it charged up enough to turn the vehicle, to turn the engine over. So I, I kind of gave up on that concept, but just curious if you guys owned one or had a recommendation or whatever. I, I, I haven't messed with them in some time. I've seen them work and I've seen them not work, but I, I'm going to I'm gonna do some Googling when we get off here and see what they have because... What Virgil was talking about sounds like they've come a long way in the 15 years or so since I've messed with them. Yeah, it does. And, it, and I'm curious how long they hold a charge. You know, what I pictured in my mind is not not the large jump pack um, like like uh, that would be the size of, let's say, a, a lunchbox. I'm talking about the, 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 the more I, I think it's a more recent thing. These much more compact ones that would be um, I'm trying to think of something to compare the size to. Um, Gosh, I mean they're 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 like uh, eight and maybe maybe eight inches long and four inches wide and about an in inch thick. I mean they're very compact as far as the 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 actual cables 
and the 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 alligators that that hook to the battery take up as much take up as much space as the actual battery pack um yeah th- those and and since they are those are lithium ion they they uh, so, so long as there's no parasitic drain on them and there shouldn't be on those those lithium ion batteries will retain about 85% of their charge over the course of a year um so you should be good to basically let those set in your car for really a year before you'd need to think about having to take it out and recharge it again. Huh. I, I, I'm not familiar with those at all. I, I'm going to have to look into that. And hell, Virgil, if you want to send me a link, man, I'd be, I'd be real interested to see what you're talking about. One other thing, and we're getting kind of in the weeds here, and this is probably getting way more specialized than, uh, than most of our listeners are interested in, but I do know that they make solar trickle chargers that you can mount in your roof rack or whatever and basically just run a wire to your battery and it will just keep a very low charge going to your battery anytime you have uh, sun available, which basically just prevents it from going dead in the first place. But yeah, a lot of options out there and I'm probably going to explore some of these a little bit more. So let's talk about bonus stuff. Um, we kind of hit the main stuff. I want to talk about some of the other things and this is where We'll definitely want to get some of the things, Virgil, that you have that we haven't talked about yet. We, some of the things we have on our our bonus stuff is seatbelt cutters, glass breakers, and this kind of stuff. What, what else do we have, Justin? Well, uh, like you said, seatbelt cutter, glass breakers. Um, I don't personally have one of those in my vehicle. Kai has one in her vehicle. Basically, just a it, it's a combination tool with a little punch on it that lets you break a piece break a piece of glass if you. Let's say you're trapped in that vehicle and the window's the way out, uh, and, and a seatbelt cutter to cut that seatbelt if you can't unst- you can't actuate the uh, the button for whatever reason. Um, there's all kinds of weather related stuff you could have in there. Collapsible snow shovels. Uh, probably probably everybody should have some sort of ice scraper that lives in any environment. And I think just about everywhere in the country, you in the United States at least, you're probably going to get a frost at some point. Uh, even if you you know park in a garage, park in your own garage at home, park in a garage at your building or whatever, uh, you should probably have one in there just on the off chance you have to park outside somewhere and have to you know run the risk of getting your your windows frosted over. Uh, tire chains, I know those are required by law that you have those in your vehicle in some parts of the country during certain times of the year. Um, uh, anything else on weather specific stuff? You know, I'm looking at my in preparation for this. I I, I keep all my, my, um, my stuff <laughs> that I keep in my truck, uh, you know, it stays in the bed of my truck. It's a, it's a large, uh, like a tote box. And, uh, you know, and then my truck has a hard tonic cover that is lockable. So I took everything out of there yesterday and just made a list of it. And, uh, so there's like 24 things <laughs> on this list. So, um, some, as I'm looking at this list and thinking about some extras, right. That, that, you know, I'm, I'm the extreme in what I have. So what I have one here that people, Hey, I'm in the, I can do that. Um, some stuff I have one here that I think might be, uh, you know, might be of interest just for an everyday carry would be, uh, like extra batteries, um, flashlight. So you have a flashlight and extra batteries for that flashlight. Um, uh, if your car doesn't already have it, uh, some type of inverter, uh, again, that I don't know. Maybe that's you know, so you it gives you an AC outlet. That depends on what else you might need that for. Um, uh, 
You know, maybe I, some glo- some gloves. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead I, I think an averter is a thing that we talked about in our all hazards preparedness episode. That's going to give you a way to charge, you know, pretty much anything as long as your vehicle can uh, can run. I don't I don't think that's a bad thing to have at all. Yeah, and then a toe, um, a toe strap. Um, you know, we you know you talked about jumper cables for. You know, it just opens up the, the the people that can help you immensely if you have the the tool. And likewise, I think with a toe strap, if you if you ended up off, you know, stuck, whether it's off in a ditch or um, inclement weather and whatever, um, you know, if you have a there's there's a lot of people that drive around in four wheel drive vehicles, but they don't have a toe strap. So if you had that yourself. Um, then they could help you. And then you, it opens up the ability for you to potentially help someone else as well. And uh, so and those, those don't take up a ton of space and they're not really expensive either. You can get a decent one for, you know, 35 bucks or so, and it'd be about 20, 20 foot long and have enough, uh, be stout enough to, to yank a car out of the ditch. So I, I think that's a. I tell you, Virgil, that I, I have a toe strap in my, I, we have a very similar setup. My F-150 has got the, the cover on the back, as you know, it's a lockable cover. And then I've got the tub in the back of it, like you're talking about, which is also but in there. And this was probably about a month ago. I'm driving down this country road, and I see a, a farmer who's got his tractor stuck in a ditch. And I pulled the tow strap up, pulled him out. You know, we shook hands, and I made a new friend because I had the means to get him out. Yeah, so I think that's particularly if you have a – yeah, so probably just about any vehicle, but – if you have a capable, you know, four-wheel drive type vehicle, you know, again, uh, you can use it to pull someone else out, or if you get stuck yourself, someone can pull you out with it. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, as soon as we get off this call, I'll be ordering uh, a tow strap for both of our vehicles. Yeah, they're indispensable. I use mine a couple times a year. It's shocking. Once you have it, you're like, damn, I I use this thing all the time. Same here. Yep, I use mine too. I mean, uh, for various things. I mean, sometimes it's just a yank my big zero turn mower out of the edge of the pond when I get stuck. But, uh, yeah, very, very useful. And then, you know, if, if you're going to, if, if you're going to go, go there with it, you might think about how you're going to attach it too, because, um, some of the, <clears throat> the, 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 there's some, some that have hooks on the end of them. Those are usually like, I don't know, when say lower quality, they're just, they're not, most of those aren't, uh, as high strength as, the ones you can hook on and just literally yank a vehicle with. Um, so you might think about how you're going to connect it. So if, if those, uh, cl- uh, clevis shackles or D shackles, I don't know if there's different terms for them. You might think about, you know, how you're going to connect that to your vehicle. And those are probably the most common, you know, it's just, a like a, one of those shackles that looks like a C and then it has a pin that goes through it that, that screws in. Um, those are good to have too. And, you know, you can buy, a, a pair of those off of Amazon for like 18 bucks, you know, so that might be something you'd want to get to. So you have, you definitely have a good way to connect it to the vehicles. <clears throat> I'm assuming Virgil, you have uh, carry some extra fluids like antifreeze, maybe oil or windshield washer fluid, anything like that. I don't, you know, um, uh, you know, I keep my, I keep my windshield wiper fluid topped off all the time. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't, the, I don't carry I, other than water. Uh, I, I don't. And, um, yeah, so I do have a, I do have a quart of oil, but 
actually, uh, honestly, I carry that just to, again, I'm extreme. I have a, uh, uh, electric chainsaw that I carry. Um, and, uh, that's the, that's the oil, the chainsaw more than anything else. To keep the bar oiled. And it runs off the inverter or how do you? Yeah, exactly. It, uh, and, and to run, you know, if you're going to run a, something like that, you know, something that's like, uh, seven and a half amps or more, you know, your common power tool, uh, you're going to have to have about a 1200 watt inverter or bigger. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I do. I have, I carry an extension cord and a, 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 uh, a 1200 watt, 2000 peak watt inverter that I can clip right to the, the battery and it will run things like that, like that, that electric chainsaw. What else do you carry, bro? And I carry a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I know we're, um, I have a high lift jack, um, which if folks don't know what those are, they're about depending they're usually about three and a three foot, four foot long, something like that. And it's a jack that you can, uh, has a wide platform base and you can hook it and jack up things really high. You know, it'll really lift. So if you were stuck, it's the kind of jack that could lift your vehicle really high out of that rut. So you could maybe put some type of debris under where your tire was so you could get out of there. So a high lift jack, um, some of this, uh, I have a, I have a, a winch that I can put the, on the front or the back of my truck. Um, a snatch block for that winch. Uh, some, uh, I, here's an, here's another one that we haven't talked about. I think is a toolkit. Um, I use that thing a lot. It's a, it's about a hundred piece toolkit. It's a, um, Crescent brand. So it's got just about everything. I would need, you know, it's got deep well sockets, you know, half inch drive sockets. It's got, um, all the, you know, screwdrivers with all the various bit ends, you know, whether you need torques or what have you, um, channel locks. So I think, uh, a, a toolkit like that's a good idea. So I have one of those, um, bolt cutters, I have some really gigantic bolt cutters, uh, 36 inch long ones and some smaller, about 12 inch. And the idea there again, it's kind of extreme, but if, if I needed to, you know, the, the, the roads are choked up with cars and I need to go around and I need to drive through a pasture, I can cut the barbed wire fence or I can cut a lock off of a gate or whatever. Um, you know, that, that chainsaw and bur- my inverter extension cord, I, I actually carry a rifle in my truck. Um, uh, road flares, a, a large hammer, work gloves. And then just everything that's in my go bag, which is like my med kit and food, like I talked about earlier. Um, and uh, I, in my go bag, I have that the food and um, I have a, a complete Gore-Tex set, you know, a jacket and pants. And then I have a, uh, a down jacket, a, a, a layering down jacket, you know, for warmth. And I keep a pair of wool socks. I have a uh, another thing. I I have a pair of Merrill hiking shoes that I keep in my truck because I don't know there's a chance that if I got stuck, maybe I won't have the best footwear in to hike in. So those. So the thing I like about the these lists is, Justin, you live in a very urban area. Virgil and I live in a more rural area. Although he works for Tulsa PD, I think you live on the outskirts toward the rural. Um, so, it, it, and all of our listeners are going to come at this problem with their own set of variables, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and one, actually one thing that didn't make our list that 
I'm kind of annoyed at myself about for not thinking about this, not putting in the notes here. Virgil just mentioned keeping a pair of shoes in there. And if your if your car broke down, even if you had to change a tire and you're in uh, high heels because you're a woman and you're coming from something, you probably don't want to have to change that tire and, and wear in a pair of super high heels. And you probably don't want to take your shoes off and put them on the cold or wet or dirty asphalt or whatever. Uh, take your old running shoes that are worn out and throw those things in the vehicle with a with a cheap pair of socks for that kind of situation. Or if your vehicle breaks down and you've got to walk to the next place to let someone know because you don't have phone service or whatever, um, I, I'm really disappointed that we <laughs> I let that get by me in the notes. And uh, you know, keeping an extra jacket in your vehicle is is not a, a bad idea when you buy that. You know, when you buy that new coat when winter rolls around this year, throw that old one in the vehicle just to have it in there and. Man, there's like having an extra jacket. There's all types of reasons you might need that. Man, you could loan that to somebody if you're somewhere and they're cold. Or, uh, but the bottom line is you got it in your vehicle. And, and uh, you know, we're not saying go out and spend money on brand new stuff just to keep in your vehicle just in case. But uh, yeah, man, I, I love this uh, kind of adapted to a certain environment kind of mentality. Yeah, like my brother gave me. Uh, he's been in the Coast Guard for like 19 years, and he gave me this. Big, bright orange uh, search and rescue Coast Guard jacket, and it's a great raincoat. But I'm like, I'm not going to wear this big, ugly orange thing. This is Coast Guard on the back of it. But I keep that in my truck just in case if I'm broke down the side of the road. It's great for because it's high-vis, and it's got the reflective stripes all over it. And uh, so I keep that in the truck. So if you've got something like that hanging in your closet, man, stick it out there. I think uh, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, definitely, man. So uh, we've talked about a bunch of stuff here. We've we've gone down this list. We've talked about a bunch of different things. Virgil's talked about a bunch of his stuff. Virgil, what should our basic listener that like ir- irrespective of where they live, what is the basic thing things list of things that every single person? I can't talk this morning. All right, so we've gone down this list. We've talked about. Um, a lot of generalist stuff. We've talked about some specialized stuff. Virgil has talked about the stuff that he keeps in his vehicle. After having done all this and talked about all this different stuff, Virgil, uh, I'm curious to get your take on what is the the list of things, the, the kind of generalist list of things that any listener, irrespective of what part of the country they live in, cold, hot, urban, rural, whatever, what should what's that baseline list that people should have in their vehicle not to uh not to totally put you on the spot there yeah yeah i man, I, th- I think that is hard to it's hard to say and not take into consideration uh the the weather conditions and the environment you live in i think because if you if you are in a cold and super cold environment or wet environment um i really then think that would steer me towards like um, protective clothing, like whether it be some type of like rain jacket or Gore-Tex or, or a, a, uh, a, some type of uh, packable down jacket and, and extra wool socks and, and shoes. Uh, if I live in that cold environment or wet environment, that would probably um, be one of my top items, maybe not the top, but it, or the, the blank, you know, something to keep me to, to take care of my body. Right. Where if I live down in South Texas or Florida or, or out in Southern California, you know, um, you know, 
protective clothing is probably much less important, you know, because you live in a hot environment, um, uh, you know, probably much less concerning. So I would say if I, if I lived in a part of the country where, particularly during the time of the year where it's cold, um, I, I kind of think that the uh, having protective clothing is going to be important. Um, but, you know, as, as a former survival instructor, the, the number one priority is water. You know, you, you, you can't go very long without water. So ha- having water in there and, and or probably water and then some, maybe supplementing the ability to filter out water um, that you could drink would be important. And that's you know, I, another thing I didn't mention. I have a little in my pack, a little Sawyer miniature water filter. You know, those things are so cheap. You can get them at Walmart. You know, they take up almost no space. So, you know, water and the ability to procure water, you know, like we talked about the the ability to keep your vehicle moving and well, what's going to keep you from moving a flat tire probably would be the most likely. Um, so, you know, making sure you have a spare and just that the spare is in good, good repair and you know how to actually change it and put it on there too. I'm surprised how many people don't know how to do that. And, uh, you know, they, they find they realize, oh, I don't have a jack in this car, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've never, never had a flat before and never had to do this. And now all of a sudden I realize I don't have a jack, you know, I bought a used car and the former owner took it out or whatever. So keep, you know, I can have the ability to keep my tires in, in, um, up and running. And then probably a dead battery would be the other concern that would keep you from moving forward in your vehicle. So, and then if you want to back up the whole tire thing of just the spare and the, the jack to, and, the, and the tools to change it with, like we were talking about a, a compressor and a pack, uh, tire repair kit, you know, you can go, you can go a long time without food. You know, you can go, you can go days, you know, maybe even weeks without food. So that maybe that's less, less relevant. But um, so I would say water tires, keep your tires, you know, with stuff where you can keep your tires up and running jumper cables for your battery, clothing appropriate if you're in an extreme environment. And then on top of that, probably a, me- a medical kit. So those things that, that I just rattled off there, I'm kind of feel like I'm rambling with it. Those are, those come to the top of the list for me. If I wasn't going to, those are the only, if I was really going to do a few things, those would be the things that I would make sure were good to go. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, water, a, a gallon of water is if you go to the grocery store, if you're buying at a convenience store, it's going to be different. But if you go to the grocery store, you can buy a gallon of water for 89 cents pretty much anywhere in the country. There's no excuse not to have a gallon jug stuck somewhere in your vehicle, and, and it'll last basically indefinitely. If you don't think about it for two years before you change it out, it's probably still drinkable water in there. It's, it's a really easy thing to do. And, and like you say, man, you've got a very, very short amount of time without water before you're having major problems. Uh, clothing. And, uh, you know, maybe if you don't want to, uh, I'll be honest, man, I don't keep a, a set of like cold weather clothing in my vehicle, even though I live in a pretty cold climate, but, uh, I definitely keep blankets in my vehicle. I, I'll be honest, man, it's, it's going to have to get real, real bad before I make the decision to leave that vehicle. And I, I probably in all likelihood, I'll go the rest of my life and never have a situation where I have to get out of my vehicle and start walking somewhere. So just prepare for the, you know, the most likely things. It gets cold almost everywhere in this country. It gets cold at some time of the year. So having some blankets in there, maybe a jacket, uh, and then, you know, focusing, like you said, focusing more heavily on that stuff, depending on if you live in Wisconsin, you know, you might think about having some, uh, you know, some, some 
ski pants and a down jacket, a down coat in there or, or whatever. But yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more with all that. All yeah, right. So guys. I, Go ahead, Virgil. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, I, I we, you know, uh, Justin, and I were talking to the breaker. I, I like, I don't, I feel like I don't have all the answers. I mean, I don't know, you know, what are we preparing for? You know, I think you just try to look at what's the most likely scenario that you would need preparation for. And, and, and really the most likely, I guess, probably would be just your vehicle having a flat, um, maybe going off in a, again, depending on the, where you live and what you do, maybe being stuck somewhere off in a ditch or something like that. So those are probably the most likely scenarios, you know, your, your, your battery going dead. So probably got to first think about preparing for, for those beyond that, the, the, the events that would require a lot of that stuff I have are pretty extreme events that like Justin said, probably never going to happen. Um, so probably it's a good idea to prepare for what's most likely. But you do use things like your chainsaw, right? I do. You know, it's so it's a lot of, a lot of the stuff I have. It's not, it's not like I don't use it. I mean, every time I, we, our, our family, we camp, we go camping regularly and I, I use that chainsaw almost every time we go. Yeah. And there's some things like the high lift jack I have. I, I, it's been bolted to the side of my bed the entire time I've had, it. I've never used it, but uh, my medical kit, I get into that, you know, somewhat regularly, you know, if nothing else, just to get a, uh, maybe get a couple aspirin out of it or, um, a, a, a band-aid. I, I, I love that perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think here we try to focus on like the, the 20% effort that solves 80% of the problems. But, um, also I, I love getting the perspective of someone that's really like Rich said with the EDC bags, it's almost like solving a problem of what do I need? What are the, what are the things I'm going to need to uh, accomplish a certain task? What might I be confronted with? And I, really enjoy talking to someone that's really thought through all the potentialities and all the, all the potential circumstances and what I, I, I really enjoyed this man. Yeah. Same here, Judge Virgil. Thanks for being on brother. Appreciate it. You bet. You bet. It's uh it's, it's an interesting topic. It's something I have a lot of interest in. Again, I, I don't know that uh, my setup is, you know, best or what, what everybody needs, but uh um, it, it works for me and I'm, 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 it makes me more comfortable that I'm prepared for a variety of scenarios. So, yeah. I'll tell you one final thing and we mentioned it, uh, briefly, if you do own a truck, I tell you those, those lockable covers, a mine folds over and that just opens up the ability to use the back end of it. Um, if you do have a truck, I would, I would challenge you to, to think about buying one of those and having it installed. Cause, uh, it has been a game changer for me once I put one on my truck. Yeah, for sure. Me too. And I, I um, you know, I, I, it keep, you keep everything in there. It's out of the weather and, and, uh, you know, with a good, hard lockable one, um, we don't like as a police officer, we don't see a lot of burglaries where those get broke into. Um, and I, and I, I, I suspect it's because to pry that thing open, you're really going to be uh, exposed when you're doing it. You know, it's going to, you're, you're going to be visible. You're going to make noise. And I just, and, and then plus mine's triggered on my alarm system. So if somebody was able to raise it up, they're going to set the alarm off. But yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a, it, it makes a, makes your vehicle a lot more usable than not having it for sure. All right, Justin, you want to, you want to go to the book of the week? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. The book of the week this week is Sentinel becoming the agent in charge of your own protection detail. And it's by retired, um, Delta Sergeant Major Pat McNamara. 
Uh, it's a slim little read. Let's see, it's what, uh, 125 pages roughly. And uh, it's got a lot of little tips and tricks in it that everything from your own physical fitness to the troop leading steps, urban survival skills, combat strength training, first aid, a little bit of everything and a slim read. So for the casual person that maybe wants a primer on the subject, that's probably a good place to start. That's awesome, man. I've heard about that and I've heard him do a couple of interviews on that, but I have not actually put hands on the book. And, and I'll be honest, I believe the reason why is because he, the way he frames it is being in charge of your own protection detail and that uh, I've been on some protection details and I that's kind of like, all right, I don't need to know that. But hearing you say what it actually covers opens up uh, kind of opens up my interest on it a little bit. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, and, and I, I did PSD for a while in the Marine Corps as well. And but I think as a father and uh, someone that has children and a wife, you know, I think being being thoughtful about man, treat it like your when you take your wife to the movies, treat it like a you're you're uh, you're the agent in charge of this little protection detail. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I, I mean I I agree to that. Uh, to some extent, but also being on a protection detail means you're not relaxed. You're not watching the movie. You're watching everybody else. And, uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm big on balance, man. I'm, I'm, I could be, uh, I, I don't know. I'm aware of that hypervigilance kind of, uh, syndrome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not at all what I'm advocating. We, we've talked at length about that. Uh, but there's some small steps you can take that probably are, are better than just having your head stuck on your phone the whole time. There, there's a happy medium there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I understand what you're saying. But I, I think that was uh, in the interview, in the interview that I heard, he was saying, yeah, like every time you go out, you should plan it like you're, you know, you're taking a protectee out, whatever. And uh, uh, well, Pat McNamara is an extreme personality anyway, but uh I'll I'll give that a shot, man. I'll I'll give it a chance based on your recommendation there. All right, Justin. Anything else before we uh, lead us out? Once again, man. Before we go, though, I would like to thank Virgil. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, you absolutely. Better. Thank Appreciate you, man. Being there. That's it. it was fun. Yeah, I think that's it, Rich. You want to take us out, man? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Across the Peak, man. Check us out at acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Take time to rate us and review us on iTunes. That's how it helps others find our show. And also, I want to say, check us out on Instagram, man. Kai Kai Mando has been doing a great job with that, and I think you're going to like the content. So until next time, remember, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. 